Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. So excited today. Uh, We are kicking off week one of a brand new sermon series that we're calling The Gospel According to Christmas Carols. And before we do that, just want to introduce myself if we haven't met yet. My name is JJ and alongside my wife Liz and I, we have the honor of leading our church here, Journey Church, as pastors. I also want to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, church. Come on, tell your neighbor Merry Christmas. It's about that time. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. And uh, super pumped about it. Today, like I said, a brand new series, The Gospel According to to Christmas Carols. And what we're going to do is every week for the next two weeks, we're going to pick a Christmas carol. We're going to perform that Christmas carol, but but we're also going to talk about the history of that Christmas carol and, and, and kind of find the truth within it. And when someone from our church found out that we were doing this series, they uh, tagged me on Instagram at a post um, with her favorite Christmas carol. And she wanted to uh, propose that we would do her Christmas carol. Um, the only problem was that her favorite Christmas carol um, was from NSYNC. <laughs> what my NSYNC fans? You got NSYNC fans in the house? Yeah. All women. <laughs> All women there. The guys too, they just don't want to admit it. <laughs> the moment I said it, you were like, bah, 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 bah. Um, but uh, I, let me just tell you, um, I, I, I respect NSYNC. They're great. Appreciate what they did for music. Um, but... Uh, to that request, I will say humbug, okay? Um, because if your favorite Christmas carol was written in the 90s, it's not a Christmas carol, okay? Come talk to me in 50 years, all right, when that song is still going on. And I think that's really the beauty of a Christmas carol, listen, is its lasting power. The reason why we've been singing it some for hundreds of years is because I believe that there is a truth that transcends, it is transcendental on time. It is a truth that resonates over errors and and genres. And we're still singing them because there's a truth in them. And so the song I want to talk to you guys about today is Oh Holy Night, Oh Holy Night. And an interesting story was actually written in 1847. There was a pastor who had just started a, a brand new church and he wanted to bless his church. And so he hired a poet by the name of Placide Capot, who was a French wine merchant a poet, and hear this, fun fact, atheist. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in the church. But, you know, got to eat. Man got to eat. And so uh, he saw, I don't know, an ad for writing a poem in the papers. He said, I'll do it. And he wrote, Oh Holy Night. Well, the song blew up, became so popular, it spread all over the Catholic Church, all across the Atlantic Ocean, into the States. By the time the leaders of the Catholic Church uh, found out who had written the song, an atheist, they tried to take it out, but it had become so popular they couldn't undo it. And so fast forward 60 years later, there's another man by the name of Reginald Fessenden. It's the year 1906, and he has been experimenting with sound waves. At that point, the only way you could communicate over long distance was through Morse code. You know, yeah, just in case you didn't know, I thought I'd act it out. And so that was what that was. And so he had just figured out a way. He thought that if he could combine two frequencies, that he could actually transmit voice over radio. And so he contacts the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy contacts their ships that are out in the Atlantic Ocean. And they say, hey, turn on your radio. A message is going to come across. And they turned on their radios expecting to receive Morse code. But for the first time ever, a voice wave was shot, was broadcasted over the radio. A 
AM radio was invented in 1906 on Christmas Eve. Well, this guy, Reginald Festison, was also the son of a pastor. And so on Christmas Eve, he decided that what he would communicate over the radio to go out over all airways for the first time, he grabbed the violin and he started playing. And over the violin, he started singing. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angels' voices. And then he stuck down his violin, and then he handed his wife a Bible because she was supposed to read from Luke chapter 2, but she freaked out and ran away, which also was, fun fact, the first awkward silence on radio ever was right there the same night. And so he grabbed the Bible, and he started reading Luke chapter 2, and, and, and he said it. He said it. He said, then he, then he said the, the, the first line, verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I just thought that was interesting to share with you that the very first story ever communicated over the radio was the story of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story. And the very first song, the very first song ever played over radio is this song that you're about to hear right now. Stars of brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and narrow path till he appeared and the soul felt his word. Holy 
Come on, give it up. Oh, Holy Night, a Christmas classic. And uh, I don't know what you think of when you think of Oh, Holy Night. You probably see the manger scene with the kings and the lambs and there's light and there's angels. And the truth of the story is that the night wasn't actually all that special. Um, it actually even wasn't all that beautiful, at least to begin with. I think there's a misconception of Christmas Eve. We think a night of peace and a night of joy, but it was actually a pretty bad night. Um, first off, uh, Mary and Joseph are traveling 100 miles on a, on a donkey, okay? I don't know if you've ever traveled 100 miles in your Toyota Camry, okay? It can be, it can be after a while, you know, you got back pains and muscles you need to stretch out and things of that nature. Can you imagine 100 miles on a donkey? And listen, I know that she had it bad because she had to give birth, but somebody was pulling that donkey, and that was old boy Joseph, okay, walking for 100 miles, all right? And so they finally show up to Bethlehem, which is a rinky-dink city, okay, and very small because there's a census being taken. There's no room at the inn. You know this. So they go from the donkey to a manger. And when you think manger, you probably think like a barn. But when we actually went to Israel, we saw that a manger was actually just a cave, a hole in the, a hole in the rock wall, which means that now you have this little girl, oh, by the way, she's a teenager, okay, who has no privacy, giving birth in the cold. Oh, yeah, she's a teenager, okay, about to give birth in a time and age where anesthesiologists have not yet learned anesthesia. Oh, that's right, and she's a virgin. And so it's a painful night. It's, it's a night of tears. It's a night of crying. It's a, it's a night of hurt. It's a night of, 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 of wailing, a, night, a, a dark night until Jesus is born. And when Jesus is born, all of a sudden what started out as a bad night became a beautiful night. As if to summarize the mission of his life. That when Jesus shows up in the middle of your night, he can turn a horrible night into a holy night. And so if you're living in the night today, if it's dark around you, I want to encourage you. He came into the world at night. He came into the world in darkness and in so presenting a new concept to humanity. A concept, a radical concept known as a hopeful night. That's the title of my sermon here today, A Hopeful Night. And it's quite radical because it's oxymoronic, you know. And if you're not familiar with the term, you know that an oxymoron is when you take two words that are opposite in meaning and you put them together to form a new phrase. That's like when I used to work at, at a church a couple years ago, the pastor put me in the office. He's like, we have a minor crisis. I'm like, well, which is it, bro? Is it a crisis or is it minor? Because if it's minor, then it's not a crisis. But you use the word crisis, which makes me think it's major. Okay, or here's my least favorite. Okay, this is for all my photographers in the house. Raise your hand if you're a photographer. Okay, I appreciate you. Thank you for all that you contribute to our memories. Here's my one beef with you. When you, when you set up your camera and then you tell us to act natural. I just don't know what that means. My, my wife, she go to Disney, she loves pictures, okay. And she takes, and I'm with the boys and she's like, act natural. And I'm like. She's like, no, smile. I'm like, but you said be natural. No, I want you to act happy. Well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to act or be natural? But I can't be both, okay? Because this is how I naturally feel right now, okay? And so, you know, and, and a hopeful night is an oxymoron because night by its nature is hopeless. At least that's what the research suggests. Recently, a study was done at the University of Pennsylvania on suicide rates. And it turns out that the suicide rate during the daytime was 2.13%. 
between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m., when the, when the night is its darkest, the suicide rate jumped from 2.3 to 16.8. You are eight times more likely to take your life at night. Scientists cannot figure out why. I think it might be just as simple as assuming that the reason why people take their life at night is because night is when life feels the darkest. When life feels the darkest and when life feels the darkest, it, that's when it feels hopeless because, like, if you look behind you, you'll see some exit signs and they're lighting up. And if you look over here on the right and the left, you'll see some exit signs and they're lighting up. And there's a reason for that. That's because if some type of event would have happened in this building and all the lights would have go off, you would freak out. But you wouldn't freak out that much because you'd be able to look up, you'd be able to see the light, and you'd be able to see what? Your way out. But when the lights go off and it's complete dark, all of a sudden you start thinking, how am I going to get out? You start thinking, am I ever going to get out? And that's exactly what hopelessness sounds like. Am I ever going to get to where I'm supposed to be? Am I ever going to get it right? Is life ever going to go my way? Will I ever stop living paycheck to paycheck? Come on, somebody. Yet the dark of night is really only half of the puzzle when it comes to hopelessness. I think the other half of hopelessness, and we don't talk about this a lot, is not just the darkness of night, but the fatigue of night. You know when you get home after a long day of work and you're just tired? Sometimes we say we're burned out. You know, here's a term that we use sometimes, I'm done. Your kids want to play with you, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm just, mommy's done, okay, daddy's done. You know what we're saying when we're saying we're done? We're not saying that we don't have energy. We're just saying we couldn't keep the energy that we started out the morning with going for 24 hours. Here's how I believe that's similar to hope because I know it sounds crazy, but I actually believe we start off every morning with hope. I believe every day starts with hope. I know it sounds crazy but because the world is so dark, but I actually believe hope is natural, and I'm going to prove it to you. I know hope is natural because people be buying lottery tickets. <laughs> and the only reason, listen, you don't buy a lottery ticket because the odds are in your favor. You don't buy lottery tickets because you know someone who won the lottery. You don't buy lottery tickets because you really think you're going to get rich. You buy lottery tickets, why? Because you got hope. You look at that thing, you go, hey, you know, you never know. You never know, $3, $3 million, I, I hope, I hope. You know how else I know you hope is natural? Because you speed on the highway. <laughs> Come on, you know, every time we speed, we know there's police officers. We know it's not worth the, 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 the what do they call that, not a bill, uh, the fine, yeah, the fine. We know it's not worth the fine. We know it's not worth jail time. I don't know if you get arrested in America for speeding, probably not, but we... We, we do it anyway. Why? Because we hope. Nobody will pull us over, right? You know how I know hope is natural? Because in about a month, all of y'all are about to have gym memberships. Every single one of you is going to sign up for the gym because you have hope that this is going to be the year where the six-pack begins to reveal itself. You got hope, okay? You know I hope hope is natural because you've been in that relationship two months too long. But I won't get into that because that's a separate message. <laughs> I'm just saying, hope's not hard. Hope is exhausting. Praying for a loved one isn't hard. But praying for years without a single sign of change, it's exhausting. Coming to church isn't hard. Coming to church once isn't hard. But I can't tell you how many people come to church for a season but then leave because the reason why they came, the hope that they had that God would do something in their life, God doesn't do it on their timeline, in their time frame, the way that they were expecting him to do it. And so they bounce because they 
lost hope coming to church every Sunday while things around you are not getting better, sometimes getting worse. Listen, it's exhausting. For me, hope is like your favorite song, or I should say hope is like your former favorite song. You know your ex-favorite song? The one you used to play so much that it got played out and you never stopped liking it? Like I remember when this a couple years ago, this woman by the name of Andrea Day, she came out with this song called Rise. You guys remember it? It's like, I will rise up, rise like the day. I will rise up, rise unafraid. I can't do that. Rise up. I can't do it. <laughs> and I'll do it a thousand times again. I do my fingers. I don't know why I do that either. But I used to listen to that song every time I would get down. I would put it on and I'd be like, I will rise up. Devil. I don't even sound like a Christian song. I just, I just played it and I would get energized and I would play it so much that one day I played it and it just didn't do it for me anymore. We actually have a term for that in New York when we used to talk about songs like that. We used to say, that song is tired. You've been playing this so long. Here's what I think. I think you have a hope track in your mind that you've been playing every time you got down. But the hope track's beginning to get played out. You've been playing it every time. God's going to do this for me. This is going to be my year. But year after year, failure after failure, and all of a sudden, listen, hope's getting tired. Hope's getting tired. Hope's getting played out. Maybe that's why Placide Capone wrote that line. Listen, I pray you'll never hear this song ever the same way, Holy Night. Maybe that's why he wrote the term, the weary world. Because I think the world, guys, if I could just explain it, I think the world's tired. Tired of uh, inventing new cures for diseases while new diseases come out every year. Tired of passing new laws to thwart evil while evil just keeps finding new ways to break those laws. I think we're tired. And I think the prophet Jeremiah can relate. In the year 586 B.C. in the Bible, uh, the, the Jerusalem, which was his home, it was, it was ransacked. It was taken. The, the temple, the center of religion was destroyed. And he had lost all hope. Uh, his family was gone. The, the religious leaders were gone. The rulers were gone. Uh, it would take, listen, it wasn't until the 1900s that this nation of Israel would become a nation again from 586 B.C. to this last century. You know how many years that was? It was dark. It was dark. And, and in that process, he writes a book called Lamentations. Lament. It literally means the book of crying. Okay? So if you've been crying a lot, you need to read up. You need to read Lamentations, okay? The book of crying. And in it, Five chapters, five chapters of crying, and he kind of summarizes it all in Lamentations 3.20. Jeremiah says, I will remember them. What am I going to remember? All of the destruction, all of the depression, all the hurt, all the pain. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast, is dark, is gloomy. I remember all I've been through, and it hurts, and it sucks, and, and, and I'm crying, and, 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 and I'm weeping. And there's a reason why I started at chapter 3, verse 20, though. That's because you got to understand, Lamentations is not actually five chapters. It's actually five poems put together. Chapter 1 is a poem. Chapter 2 is a poem. Chapter 3 is a poem. Chapter 4 is a poem. Chapter 5 is a poem. Each poem has 22 verses. Why is that significant? Because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so each verse actually started with the first letter in the alphabet. It would be like reading a poem and the first line was A and the second line was B and the third line was C. He was trying to get the people to remember it. The only chapters that's different is chapter 3. Chapter 3 is actually actually 66 verses because that same kind of mnemonic happens three times in a row. Here's what I'm trying to, trying to tell you is that the story is about to get hopeful. And I'm about to give you some hope in a moment. But before I give you some hope in a moment, I want you to realize where hope comes from. If there's five chapters, one, two, four, five, 
And the hope is found in the third chapter. But not only in the third chapter, but in the 30th verse, in the 20th to 30th verse of a book that's 60 verses. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Hope breaks through into the darkness, but hope breaks through in the middle of lamenting. In the middle of lamentations, in the middle of crying, in the middle of pain, in the middle of hurt is where hope takes a turn. And if you're, if you're living in a dark place right now and you just feel like you're in the middle of it, let me encourage you. The very next verse might be where you find your hope. You just got to keep on reading. In verse 21, it comes out, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have say it with me. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never failed. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you uncertain? Are you going apathetic in your life? Let me tell you, sometimes hope can be exhausting, but sometimes, sometimes hope can be thrilling. That's what Placide Capo wrote. He said, the thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. I believe hope done right can be thrilling. Hope can get your, your gears moving again. Hope can breathe life into your bones. Hope can do more for the energy with which you live than three shots of espresso and Cuban coffee black. Hope can do it. Hope can get you moving if you hope the right way. See, I don't think the problem is hope. And, and some of us have thrown away hope. Because we're tired of hoping. But I just think you can hope the wrong way and you can hope the right way. And I want to teach you how to hope really quickly because hope, like hopelessness, has two halves. And here's the first half. And it's all in verse 21 right there. Here's the first half. We're going to read it again. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21. Yet this I call to my, someone say, I call. I call it. Here's what you got to understand if you're taking notes. You got to call hope. You got to call hope. You can't just wait for hope to come to you. You got to call hope. The other day I woke up in the morning. We have this little thing. My wife, when she got our latest dog, Honey, we had a deal. And the deal was that she would wake up in the morning and she would let the dogs out. That deal is broken. No, no conversation. No, no heads up. I just realized for the last however long we've had her, I've been the one letting, letting her out in the morning. I'm not complaining. I'm just preaching about it. Um, and... Uh, so it could be on a podcast forever. And, uh, and so this morning, so this week, actually, early on in the week, I went to the back and, and I let out uh, Honey and Blue. And um, she was doing the yard the day before. And when she does the yard, she leaves the gate open because she has to, you know, take the leaves out and stuff like that. And so, I, you know, usually the routine is um, I go and I open the door. They run out in the backyard. I start making coffee because they just do their thing and they take a while. And I was noticing that it was just taking a little longer. Than, uh, than usual. I'm like, these dogs don't want to come back inside? Like it's cold outside? Oh, it was also that really cold morning this week. You know that really, really cold one? It was that morning. And so I'm like, these dogs, they're going to want to have to come back inside. So I look, I'm like, honey, blue, honey, blue. I look at the outside, the gate of the yard was left open. So now it's, you know, 6 a.m. And my dogs are roaming the streets like hoodlums, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and now I've got to go out and save them in the cold, which I'm not dressed for, okay? And so I'm still in my PJs, all right? And so, so I go out, 6 in the morning, and I'm looking for them, and I open up the gate. Now, listen, you know how, like, they say dogs know where they live, and they always come back home? So I don't know about your dogs, but, like, the GPS on my dogs is broken, <laughs> for sure. I, we've, they've gone away, and, we've, they, like, other neighbors have called us. Like, they never come back. I don't know if we're treating them, not treating them right. They don't love us. So I just knew it. And I went outside and I started calling them. Blue, honey. And guess what? The moment I called them, they came running. 
Listen, I couldn't stay home and expect for them to find me. I had to call them so that they would come running. I only say that because somebody here has left the gate to their heart open and hope is lost. And if you want to find hope, you can't hope on hope. So many people just hoping on hope, expecting for it to just find its way. No, you got to get out and you got to call hope. Here, hope, 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 hope. Here, hope, 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 hope. I need you. I'm about to give up. Hope, can you find me? Here, hope, 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 hope. I got to find you. I got to call you. I got to get it. But listen, I can't just go outside and say, here, doggy, 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 doggy. I got to call my dogs by their what? Hope has a name. And the hope's name is Jesus. And when you call on Jesus, he comes running into your situation. Call on him and he will run into it. You got to call him. Abraham would have Abraham said yes and amen. He'd have been shouting me down right now. Because he said it himself. I love the phrase that he introduces in Romans 4.18. I hope you can read it with me. It's on the screen. I love this phrase. How, how curious of a phrase. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And if you can see it, Abraham is really introducing to us or breaking down hope in a way we've never seen it before. He breaks it down in two different ways. You see, at the time, Abraham was believing four kids. Somebody say four kids. The problem was that he was 100 years old. And his stuff wasn't working right. His wife was in her 90s. Her stuff wasn't working right. And so now they're hoping for these kids, but they've gotten to the place in their hope where the things around them and the things inside them aren't working. And so, and so go, go back to that verse one more time. And so, and, so, and so instead of hoping for, now he begins to hope in. Mm. I want to tell you something. If you believe, if you're in a situation in life where things don't seem to be working outside of you or things to be working uh, inside of you, you got to believe. This is what Abraham believed, that although things weren't working on the outside and although things weren't working on the inside, that God was still working in heaven, that God was still on the throne, that God could still make it happen. And he transitioned, oh, from hoping for to hoping in. You want to know the right way to hope? Hope is not about what you hope for. Hope is about who you hope in. Raise your hand if you are hoping for something to happen. Raise your hand. Come on, I'm not going to make you feel bad. Raise your hand if you're hoping for something. There are a couple people who don't have their hands raised right now. I don't know what, how you're living life right now, okay? I'm going to say it one more time. Raise your hand if you're hoping for something. Raise your hand if you're hoping for something. Okay, put your hand down. Let me help you. Stop. Stop. Because if you hope for something, you might be disappointed. But let me help you out. Stop hoping for and start hoping in. Because if you hope for and you don't get it, you're depressed. But listen, when you hope in, no matter what happens, you can always look at the thing that happens and says, I believe God's going to use this. And so I might hope for a job. But if I don't get my job, I can still put my hope in God who can use my unemployment for his glory. I want to hope for a healing. But if I don't get a healing, I can still trust a God. Hope in him who can use my sickness for my good and his glory. I might not ever get married. But listen, instead of hoping for a soulmate, I'm going to start hoping in a God who will bring me that person in his time. We need to give up hoping for and start hoping in God who lives in heaven so that when nothing else is working on this earth, you're not stressed out because your hope doesn't come from earth. 
Your hope comes from heaven. And so I call down my hope. And when hope gets burned out and when I start running out of hope, I just call on hope some more. Abraham said, I stopped hoping for. I'm hoping in God. I'm calling out to him. You got to call hope into your situation. It's not about what I hope for. It's about who I hope in. That's the first half. You got to call hope. The second half is in Lamentations 3.21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore everybody say, I have hope. I have hope. Say it again. I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. You got tired saying it, just saying it. <laughs> hope is exhausting. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. Never fail. And this is where we really got to jump into the study of the word a little bit. It's not that the translators got it wrong. Let's leave it up there. It's not that the Bible translators got it wrong. When it was written in the Hebrew, it was the proper definition. It was the proper translation. Hope is the proper definition of that word. The challenge that we have in understanding this uh, term is not that hope isn't the word that's supposed to be used. It's that hope doesn't mean today what hope meant then. The definition of the word changed. See, today hope means wish. But in the Hebrew, hope meant wait. And I only put that on the screen to ask the question, are you wishing or are you waiting? Because if you're waiting, you're actually hoping. Hope means wait, which is why I love the message version. I think the message really, I know the message gets a lot of slack because it's not translated literally, but it's translated thoughtfully. It's translated in a, in a language you would understand today. And, and Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message, really nailed this translation. Lamentations 3.21, he goes, I remember all the pain, but there's one other thing I remember. Look at this. And, and remembering, I keep a grip on hope. I keep a grip on hope. Here's the next point. you got to write this down, the second half of hope. First, you call hope. Here's the second part. You don't have hope, you hold hope. You don't have hope, you hold hope. You keep a grip on hope. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says this. We have this hope as everybody say it, anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Have you ever seen an anchor before? Here's a picture of it just in case you haven't seen it. An anchor. An anchor is an interesting uh, thing. If you don't understand how, 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 uh, how nautical kind of things work, neither did I. I had to Google it. Thank God for Google. And what I found out was they would always drop the anchor broadside. What that meant was when the waves came crashing, they would, they would drop the anchor on the side where the waves were crashing. So that when the wave would hit the boat, it wasn't that the wave stopped hitting, but the anchor served as a drag which kept the boat from, are you seeing it? So if I'm a boat... And the wave hits me, and I got no anchor. When the wave hits me, I what? That was me flipping over, okay? Don't need your imaginations here, guys. We've got to work together. Okay. The wave hits me, I flip over. But if I've got an anchor on this side when the wave hits, as the wave hits me, guess what happens? You see it? And so here's the promise of an anchor. Not that storms won't come, but that when they come, they won't overwhelm you. Here is the promise of Jesus, the anchor. Not that he will prevent storms in our life, but that if we hope in him, our hope in him will keep us grounded and keep us from being overwhelmed by the storms of life. Which is why, fun fact, that the early Christian community, their symbol was not a cross. You know how we have crosses everywhere now? And we have the Christian flag, which is like a cross on it. And everybody's got these crucifixes. The original Christian symbol was not a cross. It was an anchor. And when anchors were created, they were created with a do you see it? 
That's not an accident. They were designed in that way. To always be a reminder for, for sailors that Christ is their hope. That Christ is their hope, that he'll be the one to hold them down. And here's what I love about an anchor. It's great, it's awesome, it's powerful, it can, it can, it can weather the storm. But listen, an anchor by itself isn't going to do the trick. If I throw an anchor over my boat, but that anchor isn't attached to something, when the storm comes, what's going to happen? I'm going to get overwhelmed. I appreciate the anchor. The anchor's strong. The anchor's powerful. But hear me, hope has a rope. Hope has a rope. And if you don't hold on to the rope, then the anchor, it doesn't matter how strong it is, you're going to fall. And there are a lot of people who, who say they hope in Jesus, but they're not holding to the rope. Hope has a rope. And so, and so Jason, don't take this the wrong way, but you're going to be my anchor. Okay. Go over there, man. We didn't practice this. Cool, cool, cool. Austin, give me the devil. Austin's hopelessness, because his search says nothing else matters. <laughs> okay, your hopelessness, okay? Now, here's what, here's what happens. Now, you gotta understand, here's what happens. Storms come. I want you to push me, okay? But not too hard, or else you fire. All right, boom. Storms come. Hit me again. Boom. Storms come. Listen, is Jason moving? No. So I lose my job. My kid gets sick. Can't afford the mortgage. Been single for 35 years. I'm on my third marriage. Just found a lump. Gotta go to the doctor. Car broke down. You get the idea, right? I'm being moved, I'm being slammed, I'm being hit, but my anchor holds. Now here's the question, has Jason moved? No. He's still powerful. He's still strong. He's still able. Listen, the secret to your miracle does not rely on, on Jesus' ability to help out. He's omnipotent. He, he can do anything. It relies on your ability to hold on. Jesus got this. He's strong. He's a rock. He's an anchor. He's not moving. Your miracle is on the way. The question is, can you hold on long enough? To see your miracle come into fruition. He's not going anywhere. Are you though? Are you though? Are you though? Are you though? You gotta hold on to the anchor. Hold on to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Something that the devil doesn't want you to know. Because if you hold on long enough, you will experience the new and glorious morn. The new and glorious morn. That's what the song says, right? A new and glorious morn. You know what the devil doesn't want you to hear? Listen, that morning is coming. You just got to make it through the night. I'm talking to somebody who's experiencing darkness in their life right now. The morning is coming. The morning is coming. The morning is coming. The morning is coming. You just got to make it through the night. The morning is coming. The morning is coming. Hold on. Hold on. Lamentations chapter 3. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Oh, somebody say every morning. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will, I will, I will hold on. 
Because I know darkness doesn't last forever. Zane and, our, Zane and our family were supposed to go to Disney. And he got so upset because it started raining. And it got dark. And he looked at me and said, Dad, Dad, it's raining. I'm like, I know. Because he knows he can't go to Disney when it's raining. He goes, it's raining. And then he said, this, he said this to me. He goes, we'll never go to Disney. Ever. Because it's raining. And it's dark. And I'm like, Bobby, it's not going to rain forever. When's it going to stop? I can't tell you. Only God knows. I hope this is helping someone. I can't tell you. Only God knows. But I can tell you that it won't rain forever. I can tell you that one day the sun will shine. I can tell you that one day the clouds will move. I promise you that. But it feels like it, of course, when you're emotional. Listen, there's a four-year-old inside of you that is freaking out because of what life is throwing your way right now. Don't let your heart lie to you. Let a voice of reason, let a voice of faith come in and speak to the terrified four-year-old and remind him what you know, but it's just hard to see when you're in it. Listen, that it doesn't rain forever. That there is a morning that it's on its way and all you have to do, you don't have to be strong. That's the anchor's job. You don't got to make the miracle happen. That's the anchor's job. Your only job is to hold on. It's to hold on. It's to hold on. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God told me that there'd be somebody this morning who was getting ready to let go. I don't know if it's let go of life. I don't know if it's let go of their marriage. I don't know if it's let go of church and Jesus and all things related to faith. I don't know if it's to let go of the work that God's doing in their life. But he told me there'd be somebody who was on the verge of letting go. And he asked me to bring a message of hope and life. That the sun would rise again. If you're here today, if you're here this morning and you were about to throw in the towel on your faith. Here's, here's what I want to, anybody who, you've never, you've never tied yourself to the anchor. Maybe that's step one. You've never tied yourself to Jesus. And you want, you need an anchor in your life. You need someone to hold on to. On the count of three, I want to invite you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What does that mean? To tie your rope to the anchor. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your right hand. I need the anchor in my life because i got nothing holding me down right now. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to shoot your right hand up high. One, Two, three, shoot your right hand up high. You need to hold on to that anchor. Come on. Yeah, I see it. 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 I see your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Put your hand down. Church, let's pray this prayer together. Worship team, pray this prayer with me. Father God, the storms are real. But today I decide. So hold on to your son Jesus. There's a cross in the anchor. Because you are my anchor. I attach myself to you, Jesus. You are my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, 
You can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.